So my first match was against Kevin Streelman. Uh, we actually played a practice round together. Great dude. He beat me two and one after holing out twice from 75 yards and making two 40 footers. And he was apologizing the entire time. I'm like, dude, just, you're making it worse. Just shut up. Just keep playing. Like you're, you're, I love you. You're great. You know, just don't apologize. Today we are joined by Corey Kaufman. Corey is a golf instructor at the Golf Academy Persimmon Ridge. Corey has been teaching golf for 20 plus years and prior to that played professionally and in college. In college, Corey played at Bellarmine and later went on to play professionally and had a few good years on the e-golf tour. Corey has a strong group of students that range both from good junior players to PGA Tour players. you got to build a swing based on what somebody has. And, you know, let's be honest, the athletes can get away with a lot more than the non-athletes. So, you know, um, you look at some players who are athletes, you kind of let them do some of the stuff that they do, in my opinion. I could be wrong, which is fine. Um, you know, you, you let them do it and, you know, and, and if they can get away with it, they can get away with it. If they can't, they're under the gun, then that's when you have the conversation with them. Hey, look, you know, we'd probably need to go this direction, but you got to let them try it um, mm-hmm. and see what they do under the gun. Um, because playing, you're, you're going to be an athlete. When you're playing a tournament, you're going to be an athlete. You're not going to be a robot. We're not robots, you know? So mm-hmm. you have to allow the athlete to be an athlete during a tournament. Now, hopefully the training has trained them, you know, trained their athleticism in the proper way. But when they go play, I mean, you can't be out there thinking, you know, you can't, I mean, you're done. As soon as you start thinking you're done. Um, so you just have to be athletic and hit the golf ball. That's my thought anyway. No, I, I think you're right. And I think that's a beautiful place to start. Uh, you're talking about how you got to be athletic. You got to go out there to play tournament golf. And you have a, a background in that you played junior golf over at St. X in Louisville. You played in college at Bellarmine and then you went on to play pro, but starting a little bit before that, what got you into the game of golf? Uh, my grandfather, uh, neither one of my parents played, um, you know, uh, my dad, uh, played, um, uh, professional baseball at a low level. And, uh, well, I don't know if you can say anything, any professional sport is at a low level, but, um, he played baseball. My mom was, um, was a, which is kind of funny. was a softball pitcher, like slow pitch. Like, and she was one of the top in the country. Now, how you can be a top slow pitch softball pitcher is beyond me, but she was, and they won like worlds or whatever when she was in high high school and college and that type of stuff. I still don't understand it, but, um, but, um, so they just, that's what they did. And, and then my grandfather played golf. I mean, he did everything. We went, we'd go hunting and that type of stuff. So I really liked the way the, um, this is weird, but I liked the way the uh, metal cleats sounded on the concrete. And so I wanted a pair of those shoes. And so once I started wearing the shoes, you know, my grandpa was like, well, you just can't wear the shoes. You look like an idiot. Let's at least wear it on the golf course. Cause I'm walking around my driveway when I'm like six years old with those shoes on, you know, and they're the kind that has the floppy thing on the front. So they're not cool looking shoes. Right. So he's like, let's get to the golf course. I'm like, okay. So we do that. And I played baseball, basketball, golf, uh, all the way through high school. And, um, so I just, I enjoyed the, I was an only child. Um, and so I kind of enjoyed the individual part of it. Um, I didn't like the slowness of it. I still hate the slowness of it. Um, but I did enjoy the individual part. I did enjoy the, there's nowhere to one, no one to blame, but me. And, um, I did like being outside. So I enjoyed that part. Um, so that's kind of, kind of was it. And, you know, that was something him and I 
um, did together. And so um, that was a, a really cool for uh, for me, a bond with my grandfather that um, I got to enjoy, you know, just strictly with him and, and look forward to going over to Charlie Vetner um, every, every Saturday to play in the men's game and probably learn more about life than I would ever think about learning from the guys over at Charlie Vetner. Um, so um, that's kind of what got me got me going. That's beautiful. Did you always have aspirations to play in college and in pro or when did that start? When did you start playing in more serious tournaments? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't take lessons till I was like 16. Um, you know, basketball has always been my favorite sport. Um, but you know, six, one and white, that's not going to go too far. And I can't dribble. I've been six foot since the eighth grade. So I just, you know, sat on the X down at the bottom and they throw me the ball and I would do something with it. And so in, in high school, when I got to St. X, you know, freshman year, they're like, you know, can you, can we swing you out a little bit? And I'm like, yeah, I can shoot. You know, I can do that. So I would do that. And then sophomore year, they're like, you need to dribble. And I'm like, no, I don't dribble. I don't, I can come off a screen, can't guard anybody, but I can still come off a screen. So my goal was my three pointer was going to count one more than the person I was guarding. I just wouldn't let them shoot a three. And then after that, I'm like, I'm still up one. So we're cool. Um, but yeah, that only went so far. Um, but, um, uh, what was the question again? I went on a tangent. <laughs> no, you're good. I was just, I was just saying, when did you start getting into more serious? Tournaments? Oh yeah. Sorry. 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 So, so yeah, 16, um, I started working with Eddie Mudd. Um, he was my swing instructor, uh, growing up most of the, um, for, for my junior and college career. Um, so kind of that's when I really started, you know, all right, I'm, I, I really enjoy this. You know, Eddie was a phenomenal teacher, um, loved being around him. Um, you know, just a great mentor to me and, you know, just, just a great ambassador for the game of golf. And so that's, that's kind of when I enjoyed it. Like I said, I played, still played basketball and baseball through high school, but I always kind of knew I was college golf is what I wanted to do. I mean, I started kind of teaching golf when I was like 17, just learning from him. So I always knew kind of either want to play golf or I was going to teach. Um, so which made college for me really difficult because I, I didn't really care to go to class. Uh, nor did I really. And that, you know, so my first semester I had to, that 0.8 GPA after my first semester, I had to kind of had to figure that out because coach was like, Hey, you, you, you know, you got to keep a 1.8, you know? And I'm like, well, I, I didn't know that. So, uh, but then I got three, eight after that and then I was fine. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like I was dumb. I just, I didn't want to do it because I knew if I didn't play, I was going to teach and they're not teaching the golf swing in there. Although knowing what I know now, I wish I would have paid more attention in physics and geometry. And I wish I would have taken a few more business classes, but I graduated with communications because that was the easiest thing to do to get me out of school. So six years was enough at Bellarmine. And I think they just kind of gave me an honorary membership, as you say, to get me out. So, um, so then I just, actually, after that, I kind of quit golf for a little bit. I was burnt out. Um, and then just went into the golf business. Very cool. And so you played over at St. X and you went on to play at Bellarmine and you kind of undersell yourself as far as how good you were. Uh, you were a GCAA All-American in 99. Uh, I think you were all-conference all four years, mm -hmm. and you won conference. Like, you could you could hit the ball around. What led you to say, like, I want to go to Bellarmine. I want to play there. And did you think it was going to be an easy transition for you, besides the, besides actually having to go into class? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was not an easy transition. Um, so, you know, I, I could have gone to Florida Southern. I could have gone to UofL um, to play. And honestly, my aspirations right out of high school was to play professionally because I was that arrogant. Um, I was like, you know, I can go do it. I can go do it. And so my freshman year, I went there and, and played well at Bellarmine, um, you know, kind of figured out the balance between school and golf and, you know, figured that out. 
And then, uh, then I dropped out of school for a year um, and started waiting tables and tried to play professionally. And then realized really quickly, I'll never forget this. I went down to the Urban Cobb, which, you know, is a fun little tournament. But the Pro-Am, I think I shot 69 and there were six 61s. And I was like, maybe I should go back to school. Uh, this, um, and I'm like, I'm looking at the golf course. And I'm like, I don't know how you shoot 61. Like, I don't get that. Like I didn't, I see 66 out there. I didn't see 61. So then I went back to school. Um, obviously didn't turn professional or anything. Um, and then finished out, you know, obviously finished at Bellarmine, but like I said, then finished out the balance, you know, you got to learn the balance between your sport and school. So you can kind of make both work. So yeah, that's, that's what kind of led me there. I mean, I, I, they paid me to go there. Um, I think I remember one conversation with a teacher, I'm a, First year, she called me as freshman focus, and she's like, "You've not been to class in two weeks." And I said, "Well, until you pay me to go to class, they pay me to play golf. So I'll be on the golf course if you need me." And stupid thing to say to a teacher, but um, I did. Uh, so teachers so, yeah, never appreciate um, that. No, not at Bellarmine, especially because that's a really that's a good school. So um, so yeah, uh, but we actually became pretty good friends after that. Um, once I spoke to her about kind of how I met, and then she she was a great mentor to me as well, and and she kind of explain life and here's how you have to do it. And I was like, okay, cool. That makes sense. That's cool. And while you were at Bellarmine, obviously we talked about like how well you played there and you were a solid player while there, despite the realization at the Irvin Cobb that maybe you weren't where you needed to be to play at the highest level, you played solid there. What did you learn in your time uh, under that coaching? And is it something that you carry with you today at all? You know, a little bit. I mean, I think I, I definitely learned more, you know, because I mean, to be honest, like arrogance was a big part of it. You know, I thought I was clearly, I thought I was too good to go to college anyway, which wasn't the case. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the thing I always worked with the, um, with Eddie was ball striking, you know? So, I mean, I was a, a really good iron player. I was, uh, uh, average at best putter, probably below ass chip, below ass, below average chipper and uh, 40 and slip. And okay driver of the ball and not a very good wedge player. So I learned about all that once I got out of college. College, I, I could still, you know, be in D2. I'm not trying to downplay D2, but there is a big difference between D2 and D1. You know, if I would have gone to U of L, I would have learned quicker um, that that my game is not good enough um, at that level. And which obviously, if it's not good enough at that level, it's not going to be good at the next level after that. Um, so, but where I was, you know, we were GLVC played a lot North, um, you know, there's some good players, but I kind of would ball strike my way around it. You know, I would shoot my, if I played well, I'd shoot 69. If I didn't play well, I'd shoot 73. So, I mean, that's kind of where I lived and these weren't hard golf courses either. You know, now that I look back, like if you were trying to play at the next level, you got to be, be popping some mid sixties at these golf courses, you know, even low sixties every once in a while. So like I said, now that I look back you know, I wasn't, my scoring game wasn't good enough. Yeah. I think I looked and I saw there's. Southern Indiana had a tournament in 2001. You shot 67 at, I think, or mm -hmm. maybe it was 69, and it was like T3, T4, which is solid. But uh, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to win in college, and it takes a lot to yes. win anywhere, as you as you know well. So you finish up college, and your aspiration has been to go pro. You didn't even want to go to college, but you went there. Then you went pro, and you played on. I know the E Tour. What mm -hmm. was it like when you first went pro? You said that. Not to not to point out what you said, but you said like you know arrogance was a big thing that uh, mm -hmm. you had at first, and I imagine coming out of college, it was it might have been a little humbling because I think I've talked with other people like uh, Will Holcomb who you know going through 
talking, talk with him. He's like, Oh yeah. Like when I went to college, I was just like, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to kick yeah. everyone's butt and I'm going to be the top player. And then yeah. going pro, he does like, he doesn't have that, uh, same mentality anymore. Cause he knows how hard it is. How did it, what was it like for you going pro? What did you think it was going to be like? And what was it? Well, so right out of college, I actually quit golf for probably about three years. Um, got in the golf business. I was over at polo fields working there. And then, um, like I said, I always knew I wanted to teach. Um, so was over polo fields working there and then got a job over at LCC, uh, Louisville country club as an assistant there, still teaching, you know, a decent amount of both. Um, and then I got a really good opportunity to move down to Hilton head when I was like 25 or 26 and, uh, uh become an assistant, uh, instructor at Belfair under, uh, Krista Dunton. And so, like I said, at that point, I just wanted to teach. That's all I wanted to do. I was kind of done with golf, burnt out, uh, still enjoyed being around it, still enjoyed playing for fun, but not at a professional level. Um, you know, my main goals when I went down to Hilton Head was to become a better teacher, uh, get a little bit better, uh, get a lot better physically, uh, just as far as in shape and that type of stuff. And then also, uh, from a a spiritual perspective, uh, those are my three goals as I moved down there. And so once I got down there and really started working on the spiritual aspect and then also, uh, the physical aspect, the, it's funny how the arrogance just goes away. Um, you know, your, 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 um, your view on life and, and your, um, your humbleness and your appreciation uh, goes up. And so I was, I was just happy to be there. I was happy to be in a place where the weather was fantastic. Um, I was happy to be teaching. Um, I started to kind of play a little bit more. I started to practice short game. I spent a lot of time with Tim Cook, uh, who's down in Hilton Head and uh, Mike Shannon, who was down at Sea Island at the time. And then Andrew Rice, who was at Berkeley, which was right next door to me. And I started to realize like, man, you know, short game's fun. Like I, I enjoy it. So I started practicing a lot, putting and, and my ball striking. I mean, I can still hit the ball fine today, even though I don't play anymore, but you know, ball striking has always kind of been a thing that I was, I was good at. And so I started playing in section events down there and out of nowhere, I'm shooting 64 or 62. And I'm like, man, this, this game really isn't that hard, you know, but the difference was I'd hit it in the water and I would be, okay, I'll just drop, you know, I'll just drop and then hit it to 15 feet and make it. Whereas in college, like I might break my club, I might break your club, I'm probably going to break your club and I might break somebody's neck because I was just so angry. Um, so, you know, and then started winning some section events and then the e-golf tour came around Hilton Head a couple of times and finished second and third and a couple of those. And I'm like, shoot, I'm not even playing full time. Um, and then um, I had a couple of members. Uh, I don't know if y'all ever heard of the ultimate game out in Vegas. It's uh, you put up 50,000 and uh, for a player, it's pretty cool. You put up 50,000 for a player and you do match play. And if every match you win, you win 50 grand. And then, and then it puts you into, if you're, if you're left of the final 10, it puts you into stroke play event. And if you win the stroke play event, you win 3 million. So I had a group of guys and, and I, I just wanted to go play on the Hooters tour. Like that's all I wanted. Like I just give me the 50 grand and let me go play, you know, give me a full year, you know, like I'm still teaching. And they're like, no, 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 this is a great bet. We're all going to spend 50 grand. We go to Vegas anyway. The odds are better. And I'm like, fine, you know, but this is okay. I'll do it. So my first match was against Kevin Streelman. Uh, We actually played a practice round together. Great dude. He beat me two and one after holing out twice from 75 yards and making two 40 footers. And he was apologizing the entire time. I'm like, dude, just, you're making it worse. Just shut up. Just keep playing. Like you're, you're, I love you. You're great. You know, just don't apologize. Like, so I lost that match. And then I think it played, might've been Tony Finau, the second match when he was 16 and I lost that match and uh, he was good. And um, so then came back home and, and uh, a couple other members got together and wanted, you know, wanted me to go play full time. And so, uh, so then I did that and played really well my uh, first year, first and second year out. 
played tons with uh, McGirt, uh, uh, Scott Brown, Kevin Kisner, him and I played a lot together. It was fun. Like I beat those guys just as much as they beat me. I mean, they were, and they were, they're good players, great people too. Um, and it's kind of fun seeing them now when I go out and, um, you know, see them out on, on the road some and talk, get to talk to them a decent amount. So that's kind of cool. And it's really nice to see those guys have made it. But so that was kind of my transition, you know, from college into playing professionally. It was a little bit of a long road. I, I didn't start playing full-time until I was like 28, 29. And then that's where I met Chris Baker and he stayed with me. We did a lot of traveling together. So by the time I got to 30, 31, I was, I was tired of traveling. I just wanted to be home. Um, my buddy, John Perna, uh, he owns uh, an academy up in Chicago. It's called the Player Service, and he pumps out an obscene amount of good players. And so we had this concept of group practice and that type of stuff. And he stopped playing about two years before me and started his process. And then uh, once I got done, I, you know, we both kind of did what we said we were going to do. We we're going to start this kind of different concept of teaching. So that's I was kind of excited to start that that path, you know. And I I, I kind of got back to my old self after a couple years of playing of arrogance and. I was working hard and expectations got really too high and, and, um, you know, just way too angry. And so now when I see players going down the road, I'm like, dude, you got to, you, your perspectives have to change. I mean, you're, you're going to quit or you're going to end up an alcoholic or a drug addict. I mean, there's only three roads this is going to go, you know? So that's some insight I feel like I can really help players with is because I've seen that I've lived it. I'm not the drug part. I don't do that stuff, but the alcohol part was a big deal. You know, I've lived that, I've lived that, you know, that to me, that's just not the way to go. I mean, it's a tough personally, uh, on people emotionally, you know, when you're beating yourself up like that, that's a, that's a hard road to go. But, you know, that's where I feel like I can help with some players if I see them going down that road or that type of stuff. But that's what kind of all that stuff led me to want to teach again and to help players, just like Eddie helped me when I was a kid, to help players and juniors try to be, be the best they can be at golf. But, you know, more importantly, you know, feel good about themselves and, and, you know, feel like they're accomplishing their goals and doing what they need to do. That's really interesting that you share that, that perspective, because I briefly, briefly experienced, um, seeing people, you know, just miserable down in Florida mm -hmm. playing mini tour professional golf events. And, um, not exactly the reason that we started this, but you know, when I moved back, Daniel and I, the reason we started this was because, you know, we, we saw the mistakes we made as juniors and we want to help, you know, if we, if we can help one through this whole process, then it's worth it. Oh my it. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, golf is a game of losing. I mean, you lose all the time, you know I mean? There's only one winner. And so a top five is great. Good job. You know what I'm saying? A top three is great. Good job. Um, you know, so it's, it's very easy to go down a road that's not, you know, not the healthiest. Um, and so it's just kind of keeping the perspective enjoying the process. That's a big deal of it. Um, a big part of it obviously is the process. If you, if you don't enjoy golf and you don't enjoy the process, you'll quit. Um, or you should quit. Um, I mean, I remember the last tournament I ever played in, I went back to the urban Cobb and shot 60. The first round was leading and teeter shot 62, I think. And so we were paired together and him and I are good friends. And so I was having a miserable day and I was a miserable person and probably horrible to be around, but teeter is like the salt of the earth. So he withstood me for the 18 holes. And uh, we were sitting there on the card on 18. He was going to win. I was, I think I was like one over or something. And he was probably 50,000 under like he always is. And uh, so I'm like, dude, is there anything else? Like you've been through the gamut, you know, you've lost sponsors, gained sponsors. You've, you know, you've been on tour, off tour, all this stuff. Like, please tell me there's something else you'd rather, you'd rather be doing. And he's like, no, I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, shut up, dude, come on. He's like, no, there's nothing else. I said, well, this is my last tournament. Cause other than hanging out with you, I can think of 50,000 things I'd rather be doing right now. I hate this. This is miserable. And so I think I played, I'd already signed up for Kentucky open at old stone and I played that and then I quit, but it was cool. You know, 
he was a big, it's funny. Cause I, I saw him, I saw him yesterday and I was like, he laughs. Cause I'm like, you're the reason why I quit golf. You know that, right? Like you are the reason. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, I mean, just that conversation with him, you know, kind of like how you explain Cooper, like I just didn't like it enough. You know, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it enough. I didn't enjoy the process enough. Um, you know, so, and, and even teaching, like there are times that I don't enjoy it. Um, you know, but like anything, there's always going to be things that you don't enjoy, but, um, you know, it's just keeping that perspective of, of, you know, what you're trying to do and what your goals are. As soon as you lose perspective, that's when burnout happens and, and, and the, the enjoyment gets sucked out. Um, so it's, it's even in a playing perspective and a teaching perspective to me, it's all the same. Yeah. And what you said about alcohol, drugs, et cetera, like it, it actually, to me, both those things kind of mirror golf and that when you, when you play golf, uh, you get these real high highs because no matter what level you are, you hit some good shot that is like what the best players hit or like feels like that. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Oh man, like this is a taste. Of I got water. it. I got and then it. the rest of the round is yeah. not that. And every, every round like that, every round is going to be like that to a degree. And if you, if you're going to stick with this game, you to a degree have to have, I wouldn't say an addictive personality, but there has to be something probably like a little bit not right with yeah. you. Yeah. And, and the guy, you and, the guys, crazy. and the guys that make a it little the farthest. Rain man. Yeah. The guys that make it the farthest have even a little more not right with yes. them than just the normal yes. not right guys. Yes. And like I've seen I've seen it with like me and Cooper, like when it gambling, like all sorts of things. We aren't addicted to it, but like I've I've seen Cooper uh have like a terrible night uh playing poker. And have the worst cards. And the only thing he wants to do is find another hundred bucks somewhere and go yes. to the table. And I'm, yes. I'm the same way with about any game. I'm, I'm down, yeah. I lose. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go back and absolutely Yeah, yeah. that's funny. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, and even even to go on what you're talking about, the highs and the highs, you know, for me personally, I didn't have the highs. Even when I've played well, it was like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, I've, I've been the last two years, I've been getting up and I've been getting to the gym at 530 in the morning and I work out for two hours and then I practice till dark. My goal was the first one at the course, the last one to leave. I'll never forget a mini tour event towards towards the end. Um, I shot seven, seven what I shoot, 69. I can play with Luke List. Shot 69, and I think I was in fifth, and I felt like I should have shot better. So I made myself run to the gym because I was like, you're going to throw up, like you're throwing up today. So I made myself run five and a half miles to the gym and did lower body to punish myself for my 60. I mean, think about how crazy this is. Um, you know, and, and I shot 69. I was in fifth. It's not like I lost the tournament. It was day one. You know, and so like I, I didn't even enjoy the parts that you're supposed to enjoy, you know, and, and so because I, that you're just supposed to, you know, you work hard, you're supposed to do that, you know, like that's expected, but it's unexpected to play bad. I mean, think how it, like idiotic and it's no wonder it took me six years to get through Bellman, but like that was my thought process. And, um, you know, so I see kids now and I'm like, look, if you're going to not enjoy or if you're going to be mad at the bad shots, you have to be happy about the good shots. Like you have to, like you have to have both. You can't have one or just don't enjoy either. <laughs> at least keep it somewhere in the middle, you know, and, and actually conversation with a player I had yesterday, you know, he thinned one and it lipped out and he was mad. And then he hit the next one pure over the green. I'm like, well, you can't be mad at both. Like you almost lipped out on one and you flew the green on the second. So what are you basing your enjoyment on right now? Like what's a good shot to you? Like, cause right now it's really confusing. It's hard to tell. And so, um, so it's just, that's where I was living. I didn't even enjoy the successes, you know, and, and um, I'll struggle with that now with my teaching. Sometimes I don't even, even enjoy the successes. I'm only, look, only looking at the negative, but I think that's something that, you know, keeps people sharp, 
I'm trying to, you know, try and pump myself up here, but I think that's something that keeps people like trying to achieve the best, but I don't think it's always the healthiest. It's not sustainable. That's the best way to say it. It's not sustainable. Definitely. And when it comes to those types of shots, like you talk about your student, I think that's something now that I'm not playing anymore, like super competitively, I'm starting to try to play again competitively. Cause as I said, took mm-hmm. a while off of playing and now like I go out and play and I'll shoot a not good score. There's the other day I played with, I played, I texted Cooper. I was like, man, I shot 84 today, but I grinded out every single shot. That was the mm-hmm. best 84 you've ever, you've never seen a guy oh, drop, yeah. from, drop from a hazard, get up and down for bogey as many times as I did. Today. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, that was my job. And I think that's, that's something funny. that when you get the, when it, now that we're farther along, as far as data goes, et cetera, you get the data from Fawcett, you get the data from, mm-hmm. Uh, like guys like John Sherman, I think are doing a great job because you talk about mm-hmm. what junior golfers deal with and they probably don't have as much exposure to John Sherman, but what mm-hmm. you talk about expectations, like those types of things are happening, not just to juniors, but to regular golfers. Mm-hmm. And the thing is you watch uh, a PGA tour broadcast, all you're seeing is shot after shot after shot. It's like going to Instagram and seeing like the hottest women oh, over yeah. and over and over. Yeah. It's not good for you. It's not good no. for your brain. And it d- no. distorts reality. And yeah. we've had, we've had a, t- we had a TikTok go viral about, uh, how Tiger played a little more conservatively and how he aimed more towards the center of the green. And the comments were just filled with people saying, no, like he aimed at every pin. Look, he hit it. Look how many shots he hit right next yeah. to the pin. He, he was aiming it's like, there. look at his yeah. birdie percentage. It was super up there. So he had to be aiming at the pin. Yeah. No. yeah. And he's just some great misses. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I think that's one of those things that has, we've come along and, hopefully are able to instill in more. Is that something that you talked about, like gauging success as far as a shot goes when it comes, mm-hmm. not just to a shot, but like to a tournament, you said like a T three is good. A T five is good. Mm-hmm. How do you instill what success is to your juniors? Well, I, I think, I, you know, I think you have to go through the process. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, how was your process? You know, we, we'll do some mental scorecards with them. Like, you know, five, I was, you know, I wasn't focused or I was mad A one, you know, I did great. And so, you know, if you can get, if you can score an 18 for the whole, for the round, good job. Like, I don't care what you shoot. Um, you know what I'm saying? And, the, you know, keeping that process of it. Also, I think the combines are, are, are great because it gives them a little bit better perspective, like from 120 when they hit it to 20 feet, it, you know, that's a score of about an 80, 81, which for high school players, not bad on a trackman combat. You know what I'm saying? But to them, I mean, half the time they're throwing their club and it's like, what about the chip that you hit to 20 feet? You didn't get mad at that. Like, but you're mad about a 20 footer from 130 or whatever. Like you're, you're totally jacked up right now. And so, um, you know, just the combine stuff, like I said, I think is, is a really good help for them to help them kind of give some perspective of what's really good and what's not, um, you know, and, and the combine is, you know, where, where the ball lands, it didn't tell you how it got there. Um, you know, so, you know, if you kind of thin it a little bit, fine. If you, you know, chunk a little bit, fine. Um, you know, obviously we're trying to get their skill level to where a, a little thin and a little chunk, if it's, if they know their distances and they're able to control their swing speed appropriately, that's only the difference of, you know, six, well, probably 10 to 15 feet as opposed to 30 yards and 20 yards. Um, you know, so we talk about the skill development or their skill level at that point, but, um, you know, those are the couple things that, you know, we kind of hammer, you know, I tell them all the time, I don't care about their score. You know, I don't care if you shoot 85. I truly don't. But one, if you act like a jackass, you know, that's a problem Two, If you stay, if you get out of your, if you get out of your routine and, and you don't go through your process, then that's a problem because what you can't shoot when you do that is 62. And if you want to play division one, you have to be able to shoot 62. 
Um, you can't shoot 62 with a bad short game, nor can you keep from shooting 85 with a bad short game. So those two things, you have to have your short game good and you have to have your process. I, and I hear Scott Fawcett about hitting greens. I'm all for it. But if you're losing four or five shots and around the green, then it, you can hit as many greens as you want. You're going to three putt. It's not going to make a difference. But, you know, at the level where these high school kids are, I still think short game is such a big deal. You know, in the background, we're trying to hit more greens for sure. That's, that's a focus. But when I go out on tour, I don't see a bad chipper. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's all relative, but there's there's no bad chippers i mean they're they're lipping out one out of ten from 50 yards you know so i mean you know if you're missing the green from 50 that's a pretty good place to start but um but like i said just the process of it that type of stuff the combines just to gain their perspective and just help them learn what is good and what's bad um as far as shots and then you just move on and you said you when you started your academy uh you had a friend of yours that has the player service up in chicago mm -hmm. and you guys kind of had a new philosophy that you wanted to implement and both of you have turned out a ton of good players. What sort of is that philosophy around playing around teaching and around practice? I think, I think golf is too much individual lessons. Um, in my personal opinion, I mean, if you're, if you're trying to go play in college, you have to be comfortable in an environment where you've got one coach and 10 kids. And if you can't function in that environment, you're going to, you're not going to play. I mean, one thing I will say one thing that I'm really proud of in our, in our Academy, I mean, I'm proud of my players, but the other thing I'm really proud of is we've not had a player that has gone through our Academy and hasn't gotten the top five as a freshman, you know what I'm saying? And, and one, we need to, you know, get some players to better schools, but two, you know, that's, that's a big deal to me. And, um, you know, that's, that to me, that goes and shows that they're able to, I mean, colleges, I mean, as you guys know, more recent than me, but college is a lot of adjustment. You know, you got a new place, a new coach, a new team, a new school, a new roommate that you've never met. You might be in a new town that you've never been in. And, and oh, by the way, you're 18, 19 years old and God knows what's going through your brain already anyway, um, with all that stuff. And so if you can take away some elements um, that they're already, they can already get comfortable with, with, you know, the environment, you know, being in like a, a college environment and, and having group around them and having players that are better and having players that are a little worse, teaching them how to help the players that need help and, and how to kind of be leaders and that type of stuff. You know, I think they can transfer that really quickly into college. Um, and so that's a little different philosophy. I mean, there's guys around here that have, you know, it's funny, like, you know, I've seen some, you know, teachers try to do what we do, you know what I'm saying? And then they kind of like, oh, that's not very good. So then they go back to individuals and then later they'll be doing group and, you know, back and forth and that type of stuff. But um, I think that's something that um, we've done a really good job on um, myself and Josh Schneider and Garrett Nielsen, my other two teachers, is getting these kids to to really thrive in that environment. You know, they don't need a coach all the time. I mean, I, I don't want to see them when, they, I mean, I'd love to see them when they, you know, they come back from college, but I don't want to see them to help them. I want to see them to hang out you know, they need to be able to figure this stuff out on their own. Um, you know what I'm saying? They need to be self-sufficient. They need to understand the ball flight laws. They need to understand what track man numbers are. They need to be able to do all that. And they need to understand how that all applies to them so they can, they can thrive in that environment on their own because that's where they're going to be on their own. Kind of relating to that, figuring things out on your own. Do you got, do you encourage your players to take swing videos? And a side note on that, as a junior, I was discouraged from taking swing videos. Mm -hmm. especially, you know, right before competition. But last summer I kind of, I took a lot less lessons and I took a swing video every, every day I practiced. And then every, um, every warm up before a tournament. And because I was able to analyze those the right way, it really, really helped me. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear your opinion on that. Yeah. I think it, de it depends on the personality of the player. I mean, you have players like me that just really enjoy 
looking at golf swings. You know what I'm saying? That's the way I grew up. I loved it. You know, and then you have the ones that are, you know, kind of, when I say this, I'm not, that are a little more athletic. They're not as technical. They're more athletes. So they're going to be the ones that depend a little bit more on the ball flight laws. Um, so just depending on the player. Yeah. Um, you know, I, we do a lot of, um, sports box AI. And so, you know, a lot of 3d, that type of stuff. So if they want to send me some 3d stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm, I love that stuff. I mean, I'm all for it. Um, it just kind of depends on the player and, and what, what helps them. And like you say, Cooper, I mean, is, you know, like even with Jared, you know, that's, that's out on tour. Like he's got a, he's got checkpoints. You know what I'm saying? It, the club's got to be here close to here at the top and halfway down, it's gotta be close to here. You know, and he does swing videos. I'll send them to me. He's like, well, it's looking pretty good. And so that's the easiest way we've been able to kind of help him is, is just kind of go through those checkpoints. And so if, if you're educated on your swing, like you were Cooper, then yeah, by all means, you know, I try to, the main thing with these kids is try to get them to understand the ball flight laws, you know, put a stick out in front of them, hit different shots, because when you get to the golf course, you're going to be different that day, whether you're a little stiffer, you're a little more loose, a little less loose, a little sore, all that stuff. So you got to figure out what shot through ball position and body lines that are, that are going to produce what you want for that day. So that's kind of how we go through with it. So for people that are listening who might know not know what you're talking about, could you briefly um, explain the ball fly laws and what those are? Yeah. So, um, you know, just, just understanding what produces the ball to curve left or right and just understanding what produces the ball to curve right to left. And so obviously a left and for right-handers for a left to right shot, you know, obviously that's the, the path moving left with a face slightly open. Um, you know, so we have our players just hit those different shots. You're going to typically find a shot that you hit one of those is easier than the other, um, whether it's a cut or a draw. And so that's, typically your go-to shot. Um, I have an easier time hitting a cut than a draw. So cuts always kind of my go-to. That's what I try to play around the golf course. So, you know, there's different philosophies between ball strikers and shot makers. It depends on their personalities. I mean, we have some shot makers, but a lot of our players are ball strikers and we try to have them play, you know, just one single shot for that round. I mean, obviously if they're behind a tree, they need to know how to do that, but you know, to keep things very simple, you know, and, and that type of stuff. Um, so from a ball perspective, position perspective usually the more you move it up it moves the path to the left in theory the more back the more it moves it right so we try to teach them how to kind of find that sweet spot where the path is where they need it to be based on their ball position and also you can use body lines so we try to go ball position with a little bit of body lines to try to help produce the path that they want um and and then you can orientate the club face however you want an address you know i think i think too many people are like, well, the club face has to be squared address. It doesn't have to be. It can be shot. It can be open. It can be whatever you want it to be to help produce the shot that you need. You know, so then we or orientate the club face and then they hit the shot. And then like, there you go. All right. You're playing with a club face a couple degrees open today, you know, to hit the cut. And that's your desired ball flight. And that's what you need. That's what you're doing. Now, tomorrow may be different, but it usually doesn't vary too much. Did I help or did I confuse? No, that's a, no, that's really good. That's a good explanation. I just it brought something to mind that I've heard. Um it might've been Joey Mayo that said it um, mm -hmm. is like, most people think that, you know, using TrackMan is making it more technical, but in, in reality, it actually simplifies things. It mm -hmm. makes you be able to focus on the feel like just, okay, mm -hmm. I look at the TrackMan. Okay. Just swing more to the right rather than trying yeah. to um, figure it out just by looking at it, then it gets way too complicated. Yes. Yes. I think you can do both it depending, depending on, you know, how it's being used hundred percent. And I think what you touched on is one of those important things for juniors. And that is a lot of juniors may or may not have the tools when they go to the course to be able to fix themselves. And I think that's something really cool about mm -hmm. what you said is like the whole point of playing a tournament is like to get the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes. And like, you're not 
you're not playing golf swing on the course. You're playing mm-hmm. golf on the course. And so when you get to the range that morning, you're a little stiff, a little too loose, a little something. And like the ball isn't flying exactly the way that you're used to seeing it. Hopefully you have the tools to uh, at least manage that. What sort of tools and understanding do you give your students to manage that? You said some, some you're going to get more technical, some you're going to get less mm-hmm. technical, but how do you make sure that they take ownership of that and understand? Well, I think them having the ability to make the change on the spot. You know, I mean, golf is, I mean, the person who adjusts the fastest is typically the one that wins because we all have a great plan until we get, you know, we get in the ring and get punched in the mouth. So whatever you have going out there, something's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? And having the understanding that golf's not a game of perfect, it's a, it's, it's a very imperfect game. So you have to make adjustments on the fly. And so if, if they understand the ball position and the face orientation, the body line stuff, they can make those adjustments pretty quick. And all that stuff's done at the beginning. It's not done during the swing. And so that's why I think that's a great way to play golf is because you're very focused on your setup and how everything is. But then once it's time to hit, you go because your setup's done. You know, you, you, then you can focus in, you know, kind of on the shot. Um, so it's not a it's not a during swing thought, if that makes sense. It's all setup stuff. So we try to keep everything as simple as far as setup stuff that way. Um, now, sometimes you have to go some extremes, like you may have to add, you know, a little more body uh, line stuff uh, other than just ball position. But usually with ball position and a little bit of lines, they can figure some stuff out. Um, so our, my job, our job is to arm them with that knowledge and, and how the application works, you know, warming up. And so when they, when these guys come here, there's, there's some processes that we do. We have them find their baseline putting. Uh, that's the one thing to do. And then we have them go out and we, all right, hit, find the desired shot you want. And then we help them through that process at practice. And so they practice that. So then they can apply that on the range. What do you, what do you mean by um, baseline putting? I work a lot with uh, Preston Combs. Um, on his, his putting philosophies, which I think is really good. Um, not that there's not a lot of good ones out there, but, um, basically just like a wedge shot, just like a nine o'clock wedge shot, you know, uh, it's, it's nine o'clock 58, say it goes 55 yards. He believes that you should have baseline putting strokes too. So like you pay, basically take three tees, uh, the far tees are about a foot away from the middle putter starts at the middle. You find the right tempo. And then for that day, depending on the speed of the greens, say it travels 10 feet. So like that's your baseline stroke for that day. Um, so you always work your baselines and then you can work distances off your baselines, just like a nine o'clock shot. Like if I know my nine o'clock wedge goes 55 yards, I know how to hit a 60 yard shot. I know how to hit a, a you know 45 yard shot based off my baseline. So then you just work off the baseline for distance control. Um, so we always work on baselines and them keeping their baseline. So our green stays about the same speed, which is like a five. I'm kidding. It's like an eight. So typically when they come, their baselines are anywhere from nine to 12 feet. Um, so they know their baseline, they're supposed to find it as soon as they show up. And so it should be the same for our greens every single time. And then they'll know, all right, when the greens attend, my baseline goes a foot and a half further. So then everything's running a foot and a half further today. And so that way they know, um, cause I, in my opinion, speed is probably the most important thing in putting. Um, so that's, we hammer baseline stuff. Um, so they'll go from baseline finding to finding shots on the range where their shot is that day. And then we hammer their baselines for wedges meeting like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. So we do you know, nines, tens, three quarters work on those. And then we go and whether they need some technical work for that day, you know, individually we'll do that. Or we go and take them out on the course or short game work, depending on what their stats are telling us. That's a unique way to do it as far as uh, getting those baselines and being able to mm-hmm. work off that, especially I can imagine going to tournaments that's useful because uh, the unique thing about going to a tournament is 
every tournament you go to, you've probably maybe you get one practice round out there, mm-hmm. but you don't know yeah. it as well as like your home course. When your students go play practice rounds, what do you advise them on as far as like, hey, here's how to approach this course. Here's how here's what to be looking for when you're out there and when it comes to like greens. How how do you practice on greens? Because I know a lot of students like they'll go out there like they'll play for a score in their practice oh, round. They're like putt to a hole, putt crazy. to the hole, and be like. Oh, I got to work out. Like, why do you think hole. they put that hole there? Why do you think they put it there? Because it's never going to be used the rest. I mean, it drives me freaking crazy. And they're like, oh, I shut 64 in my practice round. Great job. That's why you shut 85. Because what happened is you got to hole number three and you were one over versus two under like you were the other day. And then you freaked out and then you look like an idiot and you shut 85. Great practice round though. Good job. So like the big thing is for them to go out, get the speed of the greens, um, understand what their, what their releases are. So are the greens a little firm? Are they soft? You know, are they spinning back? What are your releases with your wedges, you know, and, and pace that off. All right. So like today, my 55 yard shot releases out three yards, you know, whereas last week it sucked back four. you know, that type of stuff. And then just chipping around the greens, um, finding out what type of rough it is, what kind of runouts going on. Can you get spin out of the rough with your chips? Can you not, you know, do you have to go more trajectory to stop the ball or can you go more spin? Um, that type of stuff. And then really the ball striking stuff. I mean, all that is, is picking targets, hitting lines. So, I mean, that to me, you, you should be able to play every golf course as long as you know where your lines are. Um, so off the tee, they're trying to get their lines on the greens. They're trying to get the speed. Um, also, uh, around the greens, trying to get their, their, uh, whether they need spin or trajectory as far as for chipping, stopping the ball. That's kind of it. It's a nice toolbox to have, especially like it's, it maybe first as a student, it seems like a lot, but as soon as you have it right there, like it's not rock science in the sense that you're just trying to figure out what things are going to be like and how you need to adjust around. And I can tell you that's something that I didn't do well as a junior. And that's something that I doubt Cooper did well as a junior too, because it's not, it's not when you go. Yeah. And that's, and that's what that, that's what's nice about your experiences. You can bring that to the table and you can Mm -hmm. do that with not just like junior golfers, but also with your high level players. You mentioned that you work with Jared Wolf. Uh, Mm -hmm. He played on the PGA tour last year. He's in, corn Ferry finals right now. Mm -hmm. What has that been like as far as working with juniors also working with, uh, different players on different tours? We know a bunch of your players who are Mm -hmm. at all different levels. What's that been like for you? And have you learned anything from them? Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, these guys, they're the ones out there doing it. So, I mean, I'm constantly picking their brains, you know, what, what are you learning? You know what I'm saying? What are you figuring out? What's the difference between, you know, the Canadian tour and, you know, Steve Stallings going over to the DP tour? Like, what's that like? You know what I'm saying? So I can tell my guys what that, what's that, what that's like, you know? So, um, and, you know, we're fortunate that a lot of our players, you know, really, really nice guys. So they'll, they'll zoom in or FaceTime with our juniors and talk to them, or if they're around, they'll sit and talk to them, you know? And, and I think, I think what's cool about it and, and, you know, something that, that we're lucky to have here is, is a junior can come and see, like, oh, there's there's somebody who came through this and this is where they are now. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of adds a little bit of validity to what we do. I'm not saying that it's going to work out for them or anything, but, um, you know, it, it does it does show that, I think, a little bit. And so just to have them around for the experience, because, I mean, it gets to the point where I'm no different than their parents. I mean, they get tired of listening to me. Um, you know, so any, anybody who can say something the same way that we do, but or say the same thing, but in a different way, that's a different voice, it's good for them. Um, because I mean, I tell them all the time about practice rounds, do they still play a game and try to shoot a score? Yes, they do. You know, then will they go, will they go and shoot a bad score after shooting a really score, good score? Not all the time, but you know, most of the time they do. Um, you know, so it's just having that different, different voice that they can see and ask questions and, and to be able to see what that level's like. And, you know, a guy like Jared, you know I mean? He wasn't that good. 
I mean, you know, he'll tell you that. I'm not saying anything that he didn't, didn't already. I mean, he wasn't a good, he wasn't a good junior player. He was an average college player at best. Um, you know, I mean, he, him and Josh Teeter are kind of the same. I mean, they just grinded it out and, and, you know, and no, no way are they, I mean, Teeter's, Teeter's in a better place, but no way are they safe, you know, from keeping their card, um, you know, so they're still grinding, you know, at 34, you know, um, uh, Jared is and Teeter's my age. So, you know, they could see that and, and, and also see that, you know, that it's not a lot of fun, kind of like what we talked about, which is a good perspective of it too. You know, it just shows them that this isn't all, you know, puppy dogs and ice cream. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's hard. That's a good thing. And, and I think the thing I can help them is just stuff we talked about earlier about, you know, the perspective, you know, of it, like, it's just, you got to keep that, which is hard, easier said than done. And the, your students that come out, as we said, you got a lot of students that have played in a lot of good places. The ones that come out and exceed expectations, is there anything different from them than the ones that come out? And maybe you had high expectations for them and like, I mean, distractions happen in college. So aside from Mm -hmm. like getting distracted with girls and partying and all Mm -hmm. that stuff, like, is there something that you see that separates them? Like hindsight being 2020 for a lot of them? You know, I, I think the ones who can get there the quickest and adjust, you know what I'm saying? And get comfortable in that environment. Those are the ones that do the best. Um, you know, but you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, your journey is your journey. You know what I'm saying? Like I said earlier, what you eat doesn't make me fat. Like we're all different. We're all built different. You know, God has a plan for all of us. And, um, you know, you have to have faith in your plan and you have to have faith in, in what you do and your ability. Um, and whatever happens, happens. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you could have the best plan. You could have the most ability. You could have all that stuff, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. And so, you know, you have to be able to run a race without knowing where the finish line is, you know, and if you're not willing to run the race and sprint and not knowing where the finish line is, then you probably should just stop. Um, because you know, it's, it's, it's hard because there's a thousand guys out there who are willing to do that, uh, regardless of their ability level. Um, you know, and they, and they've got financial backing and they've got, they've got talent, they've got all this stuff that, you know, you may not have the ones who can kind of just put their head down and kind of stick to what they do and just let themselves get better as opposed to make themselves get better. Those are the ones that seem to have the longevity and the ones who seem to, you know, succeed at that level. Maybe it takes a year, maybe it takes two, maybe it takes four, maybe it takes five now with COVID year, Um, you know, but they're able to get there usually. You said about, you know, getting there at the, at the end of the day and adjusting, like, I think that's something that everyone uh, struggles with when you get to college. And oh, at least I, I know for, I know for me, like I never, obviously I never adjusted, uh, cause I stopped playing. And I, I think <laughs> that's, that's one of those things. Now looking back, I'm, I'm grateful for it. It worked out well. And I have a heck of a lot more fun playing golf now. And if I could go back to my junior self, there's a few things I'd tell myself, especially, you know, about just enjoying it and oh yeah, being there. If, and the final question we ask all of our guests is, that question, which is if you go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? Oh, let's see. Just one. Um, probably just enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just just enjoy the process, just enjoy the game, just enjoy the complexity, you know, complexity of it. You know, stop being so perfect. That's two. Sorry. Enjoy not being perfect. There we go. I'll put it in one one thing. Um, that would probably be the biggest thing. Um, because I think, I mean, that's why a lot of people quit. They don't enjoy it, you know, and when you don't enjoy, when you enjoy something and you stop enjoying, enjoying it, then that means some, you've changed some sort of perspective about what you were doing. Um, so it's about keeping the perspective of what made you like it and love it to begin with and keeping that perspective. 
Um, now I do understand things can, you know, grow old and people change and, and, you know, your goals and stuff can change and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but trying to really hold on to the perspective of, you know, kind of what's your, why, why are you doing this? Keeping that there. So that way you, you know, because you're going to get beat up, you're going to get hit, you're going to get knocked down, you're going to get killed. Um, you know, so what can keep you going and what can keep you, you know, moving forward. And usually at the beginning you have that. And then as you go and you get your ass kicked and you get pumped and you get kicked to the ground, you lose that perspective because you're like, what's going on? What's wrong? There's nothing wrong. It's just, you're going through the process. You're going through the journey. Just enjoy that. That's all part of it. That's beautiful. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time. God, tell my wife that I said something beautiful. She would enjoy that. <laughs> Please. <laughs> We will. <laughs> You'll have it recorded in eternity. Uh, Sweet. For your nice. reference. Uh, that means it's up in the air on the cloud. Where can, where can people find you on social media if they want to get in contact with you, you know, uh, work with you, any of those things? Where can yeah. they find you? Um, our website, thegolfacademypr.com, um, uh, Instagram, thegolfacademypr, Twitter, thegolfacademypr, any of those places. I don't have any personal, I would just drink too much bourbon and making ass of myself. So my wife cut me off from social media. So, uh, so on those, uh, on those platforms, you can uh, DM us or, or my uh, email and, and phone numbers on the website. Thanks for joining us today. Please do us a big favor and like, and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts, so we can help others learn how to play better tournament golf. You can find us online at the tournament on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter at Tournament Code. As always, feel free to reach out to us at those places or email us at daniel at thetournamentcode.com and cooper at thetournamentcode.com. We hope you join us as we continue to dive deeper in what it takes to play elite tournament golf.